Welcome to the Megalithic Marvels podcast. Dee Olson here, your host and founder of megalithicmarvels.com. Thanks for joining me on my journey of reconstructing the prehistoric past. I hope you all are healthy and well out there as we navigate through COVID-19. In this episode, I feature a new interview that I just did with researcher Marco Vigato from Mexico City, who recently made an amazing modern-day rediscovery of the lost cruciform chamber of Garum. But before we get to the interview, I want to give you a quick announcement. I recently released a YouTube video documenting the fascinating discovery of a skeleton with a massive elongated skull that was unearthed in Crimea just a few years ago. While mainstream archaeology explains this find away is just cradle headboarding, it's obvious that this skull possesses much more cranial mass than normal human skulls. Cradle headboarding can alter the shape, but obviously it cannot produce more mass. The excavation team that actually found this skeleton named the site, quote, the grave of an alien, end quote. So just search for Megalithic Marvels on YouTube or click the link in the show notes of this podcast to find my video called The Grave of an Alien Unearthed in Crimea. Well, let's get to my interview with researcher Marco Vigato regarding his amazing rediscovery of the lost cruciform chamber of Garun. Well, I'm excited to be interviewing Marco Vigato in this episode. Marco is a researcher documenting the evidence of ancient civilizations and sacred sites around the world, specifically the megalithic remains of ancient Mexico and Mesoamerica. Marco, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Dee. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So, Marco, before we talk about this amazing rediscovery of the megalithic cruciform chamber, I'd like to get to know you just a little bit more. Uh, for starters, how did a native of Italy end up living in Mexico? <laughs> yeah, I've been living in Mexico for, for five years now, and uh, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, my wife is Mexican, so we decided to move here um, just about five years ago. And, uh, of course, that has uh, helped a lot with uh, my research in ancient megalithic sites, gave me a chance to uh, get to know more about these uh, amazing countries, about its history and uh, archaeology and literally hundreds of archaeological sites in Mexico. Yeah, I've been a fan of your research for several years now, Marco. And about two years ago, you wrote an article for Megalithic Marvels titled The Top Five Megalithic Mysteries <laughs> in Mexico. And I'll link that article in our show notes. But this article was so eye-opening for me because up until I read it and saw your photographs, I did not fully grasp how rich Mexico was with megalithic history. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible because the reality is that uh, many people, of course, would focus on the main archaeological sites. Uh, think of Chichen Itza, Uxmal, um, Teotihuacan to some extent. But the reality is that there are many more smaller ruins uh, that are pretty older than those and uh, much more interesting, much more fascinating uh, just from an architectural and um, megalithic point of view. And that uh, possibly point to the existence of a much earlier megalithic civilization in Mexico, which we know uh, very little about. 
Right. And in this article that you wrote for Megalithic Marvels, you made mention of, and then you showed this old black and white photo from the early 1900s of this cruciform chamber near Mitla that had uh, basically since been lost to the general public. And I remember being mesmerized by this photo because I had never seen anything like it. And I'm a guy that looks at megalith, megalithic structures all day long. And so fast forward a couple of years to the present day, and then you recently break the news that you uh, rediscovered this structure yourself. And to me, this is a major archaeological news. So that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast. And I was hoping you could take us back a couple of years ago to when you first learned of and saw this old photo of this cruciform chamber. What were your first thoughts when you learned about it? So uh, I visited uh, the area. Um, this is uh, actually my fourth or fifth uh, expedition to the region around Mitla. So I know the area pretty well. Uh, visited a number of uh, very interesting megalithic sites uh, in the area, including, of course, the world famous Mount Elban, uh, Mitla, also a number of other sites, uh, very interesting archaeology in, in that region. That's where I first came across um, pictures of these uh, megalithic cruciform chamber in that paper. Uh, by Marshall H. Saville, dated 1909. Um, there was not much in terms of description, uh, um, just a couple of pages with measurements, a uh, uh, few black and white pictures, and that was pretty much it. I was very surprised, I remember at the time, not finding any mention of this structure in the more recent uh, uh, literature on uh, Mitla, on, even on uh, Mexican archaeology in general. So that's where I start to develop an interest in this tomb and uh, try to locate it. Um, did a couple of expeditions back then in 2017 and 2018 to try to locate it, but both were unsuccessful. Um, so like uh, local peoples had uh, uh, seen uh, the chamber, or remember at least uh, having uh, or knowing people who had been there uh, many years before, but nobody could really point at uh, its exact location, not even the local uh, uh, authorities in either Mitla or Oaxaca, which is the, the, the regional capital. Uh, and everything changed uh, in uh, late 2018 when I was contacted by um, one of our local uh, uh, correspondents down there in Oaxaca, who um, actually provided coordinates for, for the tomb itself. Uh, um, they were able to locate it uh, through some local guides. And uh, ever since then, I uh, had wanted to go and visit the site myself, which, as you might understand, is in a very um, difficult-to-reach region. It's very isolated uh, in the middle of the mountains. So that's, that's the reason why the site has been effectively lost for over a century now. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that all the people in and around that area, most of them, it sounds like, didn't even know where this place was either. So you had to be super excited when you ran into this other gentleman who had uh, provided you with the coordinates. And so now put us in your shoes uh, the first time you begin to approach this site. What were you seeing? What were you experiencing? And tell us a little bit about um, what what the area looked like. So I've been to the same general area before. It was actually a little town. It's probably six or seven kilometers uh, east uh, of Mitla, which is called uh, Saga, which is a very picturesque, very interesting town. There's an old ruined hacienda in uh, in the middle of town, and that's where most of our uh, hints 
pointed at when we uh, first uh, started looking for, for this tomb. As a matter of fact, a number of locals had originally told us that the tomb was located on the grounds of this abandoned hacienda. So we spent uh, almost one day, and that was again back in 2018, exploring uh, the area. We uh, eventually found a local guide who still had keys to um, one of the gates of these, uh, these hacienda, one of the old dilapidated buildings there. And there was actually an ancient tomb underneath that we explored. We took pictures of that. Uh, very impressive structure, but not uh, the one that uh, had been photographed by Saville back in 1909. However, uh, this provided like confirmation that um, we were in the correct area, we were like in the, in the right place. So when uh, I finally got coordinates for the tomb and went back just uh, um, a couple of months ago to try to find the tomb, that's also where we started off. Uh, the tomb is actually located uh, pre couple of hours uh, um, still farther out towards the mountains. Uh, it's a very harsh, very difficult terrain. Uh, there are lots of canyons and uh, very steep hillsides. So unless you go there with a really expert guide, it's practically impossible to find a place yourself, even if you have uh, GPS coordinates, just because the terrain is so, so rugged. Um, there's only a little trail that takes you up there, um, goes through some uh, really beautiful, actually, agave plantations. Uh, the the region there is very well known for mezcal production, so it's a really beautiful landscape, uh, but very rugged, uh, uh, very difficult uh, terrain. And uh, as you go up, uh, you have a view of the entire valley of Oaxaca. So you can see Mitla, you can see uh, the entire valley for pretty miles and miles um, until until uh, until the horizon. And uh, um, needless to say, it's uh, very sparsely inhabited. Uh, we're actually quite surprised now to find uh, a number of uh, little shacks that probably some of the local uh, people use uh, uh, from time to time uh, when they're like um, herding goats and, uh, and animals in, uh, in the area. And the first thing uh, you see is uh, um, a group of ruins that occupies uh, the summit of a hill at a site called uh, Guerun. And there, and they've also included some pictures in uh, my article, we found uh, the ruins of what looked like a large palace um, around uh, a square rectangular courtyard, very similar to the palaces of Mitla, uh, very dilapidated, uh, but uh, you could still make out the main structures facing the courtyard, uh, a pyramid on uh, uh, one of the sides uh, consisting of three different uh, levels. And so there was uh, one of the first uh, uh, signs of, uh, of the site itself. I remember having read the descriptions of the place in the original writings by Savion. So we knew by then that the tomb was not far away. It was just uh, probably a few hundred meters away. And so that's where we actually started the search in, uh, in the on the bush and like the low vegetation pretty much covers everything and doesn't uh, let you see practically practically anything um, that is uh, farther than just a few meters, a few yards away. You stated in your original article, which I'll also link in the show notes, that once you approached the cruciform uh, structure, uh, you said, quote, there are few words to describe a structure so entirely unique in the panorama of Mesoamerican 
architecture. Right. So try to try to put into words for us what you were experiencing again when you first saw for you with your own eyes this this cruciform chamber. So first of all, the the structure is absolutely unique. Uh, um, there is nothing similar anywhere else in Mesoamerica. I would say almost anywhere else in the world. It's uh, built of massive stone blocks. Uh, some of the stones measure over four or five meters long, which is about 12 to 15 feet long. Um, so we're talking about uh, uh, really massive stone blocks uh, within a range of five uh, to 10 tons. Uh, the stone is everywhere perfect. Uh, um, so it looks like, uh, uh, it looks as if the tomb had been there for just, years, not centuries or thousands of years, uh, so perfect is the stonework and the, the, the geometric carvings and decoration on the on the stone blocks. And then you have this almost perfect uh, uh, cruciform shape, so the, the structure itself you have to imagine it's built in the shape of a cross with uh, um, the four different arms are astronomically oriented and uh, inside it's entirely covered uh, in these beautiful and very intricate uh, geometric carvings. And that, uh, of course, nobody knows what's the purpose or the function of these uh, structures. It's usually called uh, a tomb, uh, or at least that's uh, how Saville originally described it in 1909. But the reality is that nobody knows what uh, the structure was for. Uh, I, I doubt personally that uh, it was a tomb just because it's not underground. It's... Uh, um, the, in the open air, it's very carefully astronomically oriented, so uh, I would almost be inclined to consider it an astronomical observatory, also because of the position, it has a very dominating position of the entire valley, you can see again, like the entire valley of Oaxaca from, uh, from that spot, and you have this almost like overwhelming sense of uh, uh, mystery when you get to this spot because it's so lonely, so isolated, uh, very far away from the main centers of civilization that were down in the valley. And at the same time, you have these huge, massive megalithic stone blocks that appear as if out of nowhere, just in the middle of the, uh, the shroud and the low vegetation. Incredible. Is, do you have any idea where the megalithic blocks would have been quarried from? So uh, there are a number of quarries uh, in uh, the area. There is actually a very interesting paper um, from 1996 that describes a number of quarries in uh, the region of Mitla. And uh, we were actually able to visit uh, a number of those that are also located in the vicinity of uh, the cruciform tomb. Uh, it's estimated uh, that around 200 stone blocks uh, still lie in the quarries, uh, some of which are of very large size, also measuring four to five meters, uh, 12, 15 feet long. So comparable in size to the ones that uh, um, can be seen uh, in uh, the upper cruciform chamber. Uh, the closest quarry uh, is at, at a site called La Cuadrada, which means the square, which is located uh, just about two to three kilometers further uphill from the place where the cruciform tomb is located. And uh, it derives its name from one huge massive block of stone just uh, in the shape of a square this found at the site that is estimated to weigh uh, between 15 and 20 tons and um, it was carved and then uh, left and abandoned at these uh, megalithic stone quarries uh, and I think the the article that uh, I referenced from 1996 mentions at least the seven different stone quarries, uh, many of which serve not only this particular site of Wirun, but also the nearby site of Midline Saga, where there are a number of other megalithic uh, uh, structures and tombs.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love this picture you've got of you standing right next to, I believe it's the largest stone block in by the chamber that weighs an estimated 10 tons. And yes. I've been to, you know, I've been to Peru and Alente Tambo mm-hmm. and that stone looks almost exactly like uh, a couple of specific stones at Alente Tambo. Mm-hmm. Incredible that this is here in Mexico. Right. And so, it looks like you said there was about 52 stone blocks to make up this structure. Correct, correct. That's that's the estimate of Seville. The reality is that uh, many of the of the stone blocks are still buried. So um, there is even doubt whether the structure itself continues further down because, um, of course, no excavations have been ever performed at the site. But the floor doesn't seem to be... Uh, stone or bedrock so it's very well possible the structure continues farther down so the 52 blocks only refer to the portion of the tomb that was uncovered at the time of Seville's initial initial survey or excavation so it's it's actually quite possible there is more buried underneath like you said Seville mentioned it as a tomb but you make the point ask the question is it more of a ritual chamber or astronomical observatory so do you kind of lean towards the chamber and astronomical observatory over the tomb yes so uh, the the main reason why Saviero uh considered the tomb in the first place is because of its shape uh, as a matter of fact uh, the majority of zapotec and mixtec tombs are known in the area if you think of the um tombs of Mitlan, Sagai, and Montalban, they are all in the shape of a cross, uh, which might have had some symbolic meaning for, for the ancient uh, Zapotecs. Uh, however, all these tombs are built uh, quite deeply underground. Um, they're all roofed. Uh, the, the decoration that you find inside these tombs is very different. It's usually very simple, um, just the... Uh, basic stonework. Uh, in some cases, there are some mosaic panels inside this tomb, but overall, it's it's fairly simple. In the case of this uh, cruciform chamber of, of Grim, first of all, there is no roof covering, and um, one might assume that the tomb was left unfinished, which would explain why it was never covered over, but reality is that when you look at the decoration inside, there is even still traces of paint in, in some places. It's very clear the structure was completely uh, it was even like painted and plastered over. So th- th- there is no way in, uh, in my mind that it was, it was left unfinished uh, or uh, was deliberately um, deliberately left in this, uh, in this state. I think it's much more likely the structure itself was indeed uh, completed, but it was not a tomb. Uh, another interesting point, and if you look at the decoration, uh, it's very different from what you see in other tombs like the ones of Mitla, which, as I said, is much simpler. It's 
basically very simple geometric um, patterns. It's mostly just a basic basic stonework. Uh, whereas here you find a very complex, very intricate decoration on pretty much all the walls that compose this uh, this cruciform chamber. And if you look at the patterns of decoration, it looks like uh, waves, uh, swastikas uh, in uh, some portions of it. Uh, they bear a very close similarity to uh, the decorative patterns you find in the palaces of Mithla. So at Mithla you have a, a, a very clear differentiation between the palaces above ground that were used for ritual purposes and then the tombs underground and the decoration in these two layers is entirely different. So in the case of the tomb of Guirun, uh, or this cruciform chamber of Guirun, uh, the decoration is much more similar to one to, to what you find in the palaces of Midland. So that's what suggests to me that the function of it might have been a ritual rather than uh, um, as a tomb. Yeah, that's what's so fascinating to me about this structure is not only are, is it made up of these incredibly huge megalithic uh, stones, but the interior walls, as you state, are so intricately lined with these geometric patterns, which I think... As you stated, the the closest example we have is what's at Mitla or Mitla. Um, do you think this structure may have been crafted with some form of uh, geopolymer, and that it was cast into place uh, rather than quarried or transported? Well, I think that's a very interesting possibility. And look, I'm not a, a, a big proponent of the geopolymer theory myself, but uh, I think in this specific case, uh, um, I think there is um, definitely like many hints that would suggest the geopolymer was in fact used. Uh, so first of all, if you look at the carvings, uh, it's almost... Uh, uh, impossible or at least it's very difficult to explain how this could have been carved with very simple tools like um, just like simple stone tools or even with metal tools they're everywhere perfect um, all over the um, the different walls or different stone surfaces there is no deviation you have perfect right angles um, on every carving, um, you don't see any any trace of like mistakes or deviations from from just the uh, standard pattern, and it's just like a perfect geometric uh, design, which would have been like really really hard to to carve in this kind of stone, which is actually a fairly hard andesite uh, um, type of stone. And so that's what might suggest that rather than carved, they were actually um, molded on the, on the stone as the stone was still soft. Then. Yeah, if you if you also look at the type of stone itself, um, there is uh, quite some debate on what kind of stone that that really is. A uh, majority of articles describe it uh, as a sort of andesite. It's a very finely grained andesite, and when you look at it, uh, it really looks like a sort of cement or concrete. So it's very different also from from the stones uh, that are that are used uh, at uh, at Mitla, uh, for instance, where you see that it is a uh, much uh, less. Uh, finely grained uh, uh, stone. You state in your article that these magnificent, magnificent structures appear as if out of nowhere and are the expression of a tradition of working in stone that had already become extinct long before the time of the Spanish conquest. So my last question, Marco, is any guess, what's your best guess on how old this structure might be? It could very well be thousands of years old. Look, um, 
if uh, if you look at uh, all the different quarries that are located uh, in in the region, there are probably hundreds of stone blocks that are still abandoned in in the quarries. Many of which are, are truly megalithic. Uh, um, there are actually reports of one stone block that might weigh in excess of three hundred tons, uh, which is uh, uh, described in a survey of the uh, prehistoric quarries around uh, around Mitla, which actually be uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, carved stone block in all. Of Mesoamerican, but also in, in the entire New World, with the exception perhaps of the of the monoliths of, of Tiwanaku in uh, in Bolivia. So when, when you take all this evidence of unfinished construction, it's it's very clear that some colossal building program had been undertaken in the region. You find evidence of it uh, in this cruciform chamber of Guerin, but also in the Palace of Mitla, where you see some uh, truly enormous stone blocks were incorporated in the later later construction. Of course. We do not know uh, when these uh, construction stopped, but uh, it was probably hundreds of years or maybe even thousands of years before the later layers of occupation of the site. Um, to this, you should add that when the Spanish arrived, uh, the local people seem to have almost no tradition at all uh, of uh, who had built those, uh, those structures. They were probably already in ruins by then. Um, so again, you, you find uh, a very similar... Uh, problem to what you have in a number of places in uh, in Peru and also across Mexico of uh, the almost total absence of local traditions as to how these structures could have been built and even as to the identity of the original builders of these structures. Now, conventionally, these buildings, including also many of the megalithic structures at Mitla, are attributed to the Zapotec people just because um, these are the earliest historical civilization that we know of in the region. Zapotecs uh, developed uh, uh, starting in uh, 500 BC, so they were a pretty long-lived civilization. But the beginning of Zapotec civilization uh, might be dated uh, to uh, 500 BC or just about the, um, the the second half of the first millennium BC. Uh, but we do not know if somebody else was there before. And there are actually a number of hints that would almost suggest that uh, these structures, or at least the megalithic parts of these structures, were already there long before the time of the Zapotecs. And we also featured a highlight video of uh, Marco's rediscovery uh, on megalithicmarvels.com. It's also on our YouTube channel, but it, it features the top photographs and information he's provided. Marco, congratulations on your groundbreaking rediscovery. Is there um, any new projects or research you're focusing on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, of course, I'm always uh, interested in um, discovering new sites uh, and um, exploring megalithic structure in Mexico. I think just in that region of Mitla, there are still many more megalithic uh, structures that await rediscovery. So one of our next expeditions is actually going to focus on uh, the megalithic quarry as I mentioned, uh, these uh, huge stone block, probably weighing 300 tons, is believed to uh, still lay in one of the quarries uh, at the site called Wigostia, uh, which is located just a few miles from Mitla. We couldn't uh, actually explore the site because the location is uh, is very remote. It would have taken probably a couple more days of, of exploration to reach that, but it's definitely very high in our, in our priority list. And it would also be a, um, a massive uh, archaeological discovery if you think that this could easily prove to be one of the largest carved monoliths in all of the American continent. 
Well, Marco, thank you for joining me on the Megalithic Marvels podcast. And to all the listeners, keep in touch with Marco by following his personal blog, uh, Uncharted Ruins, which can be found at um, unchartedruins.blogspot.com. I'll link that in the show notes. And check out his Uncharted Ruins Facebook page as well, where uh, he posts a lot of his content there. I'll link that as well for insightful articles and photographs relating to ancient history and megalithic structures. Marco, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Dee. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening from and give me a good rating on iTunes if you enjoyed it from there. Thanks again for joining me, everybody, and until next time, keep exploring.